The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. I love in that second song where it talks, or the second to last song we sung where it talks about God never forsaking us. We're going to be talking about Jonah today, and he is a perfect example of somebody who doesn't quite get it throughout the whole story, and God constantly pursues him. So it lines up perfectly, and Jeremy and I didn't even talk about songs ahead of time, so it's, it's awesome how that works out. Um, today is our family Sunday. And because of that, we have a couple of different things going on. Uh, the kids should have received bingo cards on their way in today. And so if I say words like fish or grace, they can put stickers on those things. And at the end, if you have a bingo, which would be like a full line, diagonal, whatever, my wife is sitting back there. Hand everybody, give everybody a nice little wave with your, oh, that's even better, bowl of candy. All right, we have, because it's Jonah, we have Sour Patch Kids, which is Jonah because he's a little sour in our story. And we have Swedish fish because, you know, he got eaten by a whale. And I think there's actually Twizzlers in there. You can call those seaweed if you want. But you guys can go back there. If you don't like candy and you're like, man, my mom and dad already have saying I'm getting enough candy with uh, Halloween tonight, there are stickers for you as well that are fish stickers because, again, Jonah. Today, we're going to be talking about Jonah, but we're actually going to be talking about willingness. And you might be thinking to yourself, like, Jonah's pretty much a terrible example of willingness, so why would you title that your message? Well, hopefully today as we go through it, you can learn from Jonah's mistakes and see what would have happened in our story had he been willing. However, another way, kids, that you can win, win, I guess is the right word, for candy today, is I have four trivia questions that we're going to go through. You just raise your hand, you get it right, you can go back there and you can pick something out of the bowl and enjoy it while I'm talking instead of just at the end. So... First, in our Jonah trivia here, is how many days was Jonah in the belly of a whale? Way back there, I saw three. Nailed it. Yep, three days, three nights. Well done. Round of applause for you. Well done. Thank you, sir. You, you can go ahead. Go right up there. She's sitting right there. All right, next question. Where was Jonah told to go? All right, this was the first hand. Sorry, he beat you up. I like that much. What you got? Nineveh, that is correct. He was told to go to Nineveh. Now, yes, give him a round of applause as well. Thank you. All right. Instead of Nineveh, where did he end up trying to go? Anybody know? This one's a little bit trickier. Oh, perfect. Thank you. Yeah, he did go the opposite direction. I'll count that. He did go, yeah, he was told to go uh, what, east, and he ended up going west. You can go. That counts. Close enough. All right. Does anybody know the name of the city he bought his, like, boat ticket to? Is there any adults who know the name of the city? I heard it over here somewhere, Tarshish, right? Tarshish, right? He was told to go to Tarshish. Sorry, he was told to go to Nineveh, went to Tarshish. I can get it right, eventually. What killed, at the end of the story, God kind of brought up a plant. What killed that plant, made it wither and die? Any kids know it? All right. It crawls on the ground, sometimes in the ground. A worm. I heard it. Nice. Yes, a worm. All right. Yeah, a worm is what killed the, the plant at the end of the story. So before we jump into our story today, we need to understand a little bit about Jonah and a little bit about Nineveh. Jonah, uh, I listened to several different sermons, was called the reluctant prophet, the rebellious prophet, the running prophet. 
one, one speaker even called him not the minor prophet or major prophet, but the missing prophet. There, he receives lots of bad connotations because basically God told him to do something, and as we heard, he ran the other way. He's from Gath Hepper, which is a city just outside of Galilee. Um, so in the New Testament, when you hear the Pharisees tell Jesus never as a prophet arose out of Galilee, they're actually disqualifying Jonah as a prophet simply because he did such a poor job listening to God through the story. So they're like, well, he can't be a prophet, which isn't true because God spoke to him, which makes him a prophet. They just didn't want to align with somebody who didn't really follow God. The Ninevites, that was, Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. It was a pretty big nation at the time. It was one of the largest, if not the largest city in their day. It was said that it took about three days to walk across it. If we read contextual clues, we can estimate there's about 600,000 people in the city. They were known for their brutality. They wouldn't just defeat nations, they would take people captive, and then they would torture them, they would cut them into pieces, they would pile up their body parts. They did all sorts of really, really nasty things. So, knowing those two things, let's move into our story here. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, and the, uh, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled, that word hurled means what you think it means, he threw it at him, right? So he hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. So the ship threatened to break up the mariners were afraid and even cried out to his God, and, hur- and they hurled cargo, just like God hurled the storm, that was in the ship into the sea and lightened it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and he had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give you or give us a thought that we may not perish. These... Mariners, it's a term for seafarer men. So they were very used to being on the seas, which means more than likely they had been in many storms. And this one had them losing their minds. They're praying to whatever God they can. And then they find Jonah doing the exact opposite. And he's sleeping down in the bottom of the boat. However, unlike our story of when Jesus is sleeping, knowing that God's just going to take care of everything, this is more of a... I don't care about life kind of sleeping. I know it's a storm. I'm going to sleep anyway. It doesn't matter. So when he comes down, he's like, pray. If you notice, Jonah got told to go, still has not prayed at this point. To give you an idea of what Jonah tried to do, he was in Gath Hepper. I know it's kind of small. He went down to Joppa, which is a coast city, and then purchased the longest ticket that he possibly could in a boat away. If we were to do that today, that would be like us going to New York City and buying a ticket that went to Singapore. Uh, First flight you can get is about 18 hours and 40 minutes. I don't know who would ever want to spend that long on a plane. Uh, Two-hour flights are too much as is. But that's what Jonah did instead of going to Nineveh to give you directions and what you can kind of see in our country, it would be like God saying, go to Rochester. That's about the same distance mile-wise from here. Oh, look, there's some people from Rochester area. I think they're from Buffalo, though, right? Yeah. But you can go over to Rochester. 
Instead of going to Rochester, he hopped on a boat and tried to go to Seattle. That is your equivalent of what Jonah was trying to do as a visual in our country. Instead of over land, he was just doing it by sea. Our first point that we have today is there's nowhere that you can run from God. Jonah goes the opposite way down to a port, hops on a boat, and tries to get as far away from God as he possibly can, and God finds him anyway. Kind of like our storm, our song talked about, there's nothing that can take us out of his hands. God pursues Jonah in this, even though Jonah is being about as rebellious as you can be. This would be the equivalent of a prophet being like a no-call, no-show at work. You get hired, you have a job, and you just don't come. And instead of not coming, he was just like, yeah, I'm going to go that way. Jonah would have known the Psalms. They were written before him. He was a prophet of God. In his prayer in chapter 2, he quotes snippets from different parts of the Psalms to kind of put together his own prayer while he's in the belly of the whale. This Psalm, in Psalms 139, 7 through 10, Jonah would have at least have heard it before. It says, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, I'm going to pause right there for a second. That's literally what Jonah did. He took the wings of the morning, it'd be funny if his boat was called that, and sailed as far as he could to the uttermost parts of the sea. Even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Jonah would have been aware of this. I also imagine being somebody who's a prophet and has heard God speak and it didn't matter where he was, he could just hear God speak, that he would have been aware of the fact that God can find him wherever he wants. Still chose to run. Why? Why would a prophet of God do that? To give you a little bit of perspective, something that we might be able to understand a little bit more. The Assyrians, I already told you, are pretty terrible people. Imagine World War II for a second. The Germans taking all of the Jews hostage, locking them in the concentration camps, doing terrible, terrible things to them. A rough equivalent would be like God calling a Jew to go to Berlin and preach. That's what Jonah's being called to do. So we could cut him a little bit of slack, even though he didn't do what God asked and God was directly telling him to do it. If you were called to do that in that time frame, you probably would have had at least hesitations going into that. So let's kind of give Jonah a little bit of slack. As we move forward into our story, I kind of already talked about our sailors would have been very used to storms. And this storm was so big and the Bible describes it as God hurling it. My guess is God's got a nice little like curveball and it kind of follows them wherever they tried to go. That they're in a second we'll read about how they try to row out of it and they just can't do it. The storm is trapping them because it's not a normal storm, and these sailors are very aware of the fact that this is a supernatural storm. And they said to one another, Come let us cast lots that they that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and it fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? They pretty much give Jonah no outs. They ask him enough questions that unless he's going to lie, he's going to tell them why he's there and why this is happening. 
He responds with, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. I find that phrase very interesting because if he truly feared the Lord, would he really be out in the water? Probably not. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. They would have been aware of stories like the Red Sea and the plagues in Egypt and some of the miraculous things that God had done for the people of Israel. These men would have been aware of it, being somebody who set port in Joppa, a port city in Israel. They would have known these stories. And so when they hear that Jonah, who's been told by God to go do something, isn't doing it, they have a much closer reaction to what Jonah should be doing. They start Like, what are you doing? Why? Why would you even consider doing that, let alone rope us into this? Why, like, not cool, man. You should be following what God said, and they're not even God-fearing men at this point. Then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me. There we go. Jonah's going to get thrown into the sea and it will quiet down for you. For I know it because of me that this great, I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode as hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us his innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. The men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. We're about halfway through the story at this point. You guys still with me? Jonah was told to go to Nineveh, ran to Seattle instead, ran to Tarshish instead. Big storm came, trapped him out on the sea, They tell Jonah basically, instead of praying and saying, God, forgive me, I'm willing now. I imagine a boat ride back would have been better than a fish, three-night stay in a fish hotel back. But instead of doing that and saying, you know, I just need to pray to God and ask for forgiveness and we need to turn this boat around, Jonah says, "Eh, I'm still not going to pray. Chuck me into the sea. They didn't want to do it. The men didn't want to kill Jonah, so they did their best to row away. They couldn't. And eventually they pray out to God and say, God, forgive us. This is your choice, not ours. We don't want to throw them overboard. And then, again, just like the storm was hurled and the cargo was hurled, now Jonah's been hurled. He gets thrown overboard. God calls a big fish, which the fish does a better job of listening at this point than Jonah, and the fish comes up and eats Jonah. This is the first time that we see Jonah talk back to God. God told Jonah to do something. Jonah ran away. God threw a storm. Jonah says, just check me in the sea. I'm still not going to talk to God. In our story, chapter 2, after three days, three nights, first verse says, then Jonah prayed to the Lord God from the belly of the fish, saying, and he goes on to his prayer. It took Jonah spending, a, am sure, a decent amount of money on a ticket, being in a big storm, and then being eaten alive in order to turn and pray for the first time in our story. Our second point here is God uses storms and failures to bring people to him. 
Jonah, it took failures, constant mistakes and storms and being eaten by a fish for that to happen. But in our story, the key verse here, I read it already, but I'll read it again, is right at the end of chapter one. It says, the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered sacrifices to the Lord and made vows. These men who did not fear God ahead of time have changed their view and are now offering sacrifices, repenting to God and turning to him because Jonah messed up. Jonah made a mistake. He put these men's lives in danger and now they've witnessed a miracle and they have a response after the storm, not after a fish, after the storm of turning back to God. So even through Jonah's failures and the storm, God brought those men to him. And in our lives, it's the same. We're all going to face things that are hard or storms, whether figurative or literal. And we're all going to fail and make mistakes. But oftentimes, those moments are when we learn and grow the most. We learn through our failures. That's how we get better at doing things. We grow closer to God in storms because we realize we can't control it. Those men were out of control in their boat. They did their best to fight through the storm. Don't we do that sometimes? When we're in the middle of a storm, we do our best to fight through it and try and get out of it. And when we get to that moment where we realize we can't and we turn to God, our growth in our relationship with him grows exponentially faster than sometimes during the good times in our lives. So God uses storms and failures in our lives to do that. At the end, or towards the end of chapter two, Jonah, I'm gonna just summarize his prayer here. Chapter two, verse seven of Jonah, he says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. And then verse nine, he says, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed. I will pay Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Jonah, and the fish vomited Jonah up onto the land. So he's been hurled again. He, just a different kind of hurling, and got vomited up onto the shore. And at this point, for the first time in our story, Jonah is willing. I read a little account, I'm not going to go into all the details, but a, a gentleman on a whaling ship had fallen overboard, and got eaten by one of the whales they were tracking. They didn't know this at the point, at the time. They ended up actually catching this whale later. They used to use whales oils and stuff for lamps and all things like that. They ended up catching this whale, and when they cut open his stomach, out came this dude that had been in there for two days. He was bleached white. He was in a coma, and, but he was still alive. After about a week, he returned to his normal self, but they described his skin as being close to paper. So those of you with journals, that like white color and that flaky feel was what his skin was like. So whether you believe it's possible or not, it has happened in the past. It's been documented that people have been eaten by giant whales. Typically, it revolves around a sperm whale. And then later have been either spit out or, in this case, cut out and have survived, but Jonah has repented and is willing, and we see him moving forward into the story, and he goes to the city of Nineveh, and this is what we find in chapter three. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, 
and call out against it the message that I tell you. Anybody notice some familiarity there between what he told them at the beginning of the story and now he's telling him almost the same thing. The only difference is instead of saying to Jonah, son of Amittai, that's the only difference in the phrase that he uses. It's the same exact thing he told Jonah at the beginning. So Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breath. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. This was Jonah's attempt at preaching the message God wanted. That's the only sentence Jonah says to Nineveh. He starts walking through, 40 days, and you're going to be overthrown. 40 days, you're going to be overthrown. I imagine if somebody walked into Edwardsburg and just started saying that to anybody random that would listen to them, we would probably think they were a lunatic. But God performs what I'm going to call a miracle, and brings about one of the highest percentage revivals in history. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth. From the greatest of them to the least, the word reached to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and satin ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we might not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented the disaster he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. These people from a different nation other than Israel hear this message of God's wrath that is coming, and their first response is to repent and ask for forgiveness. Jonah took a lot more than just saying, destruction's coming, took a storm, took a whale. He was from Israel. He was a prophet of God. That's why I kind of call this a miracle that God performed to show Jonah what his true calling, what God's love is truly like. And Jonah just misses it, unfortunately. Jonah totally misses it. And we'll talk about chapter four here in a second, but he goes up on a hill and he tries to watch God hopefully destroy Nineveh. But the point I want to make about the fact that These men, at the beginning of our story, the mariners, repented. God saved them through sacrifice. Jonah prays, repents in the belly of the whale. God forgives him. He's spit back up. These men and women of Nineveh repent and turn. God forgives. So our point is repentance is a requirement for reconciliation. This is what we see. This is kind of our tie into the gospel. Understanding that we need to repent is one of the biggest parts of understanding the gospel. If we don't have anything to repent of, then we don't need a savior. But if we're honest with ourselves, kids, even you, we've lied, we've cheated, we've disobeyed, we've not followed instructions, fill in the blank, We've messed up. We've sinned. And because of that, in Romans we see we've fallen short of God's glory. 
The idea being if there's a target at the back of the room and I drew a bow back to shoot at that target, it wasn't like I hit the edge of the target, but I was close enough. My bow isn't even strong enough to make it to the target, right? It'd be me shooting with my son's little suction cup bow trying to hit the back wall. It just isn't going to happen. That's why repentance needs to happen. We need to understand Jesus died. He lived a perfect life. We repent and say, God, forgive me. And he does. In 1 John, we, John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. So to finish out our Jonah story here today, Jonah then preaches, goes up on a hill. He makes himself a little shelter, front row seat to watch God's destruction. He's like, this is going to be awesome. God's going to wipe Nineveh off the face of the earth, but I better make sure I'm like a safe distance away. So he goes out of the city. He sits up. He sets up shop there, and he's watching. God comes to Jonah and says, do you have any right to be upset about the fact that I forgave Nineveh? Jonah doesn't even respond. He just kind of pouts and ignores God. And so God again comes and he decides to give Jonah an object lesson. He grows a plant that covers Jonah and provides awesome shade for Jonah. Jonah falls in love with this plant. This is the first time in our whole story we see Jonah happy. He's not happy that 600,000 people decided to get their their lives right with God. He's not happy that God saved him from the fish. He's not really happy that he got told to go to Nineveh in the first place. But you give me a nice plant to shade me, I'm happy. And so Jonah loves this plant. He almost has an unnatural love for this plant. It came up in one day, shaded Jonah. God then sends a worm to chew at the bottom of the plant. Plant withers and dies. And God sends a really hot day and an east wind. And it blows this hot wind. My car, my van doesn't have air conditioning. So on a really hot day, if I don't open the windows and I just like crank my AC up, it just blows this incredibly hot air because it's hot outside and then it comes across my engine and then it's even more hot and then it blows into my face and it's just the worst thing ever. That's what Jonah has happened and Jonah gets so mad about the fact that his plant died and he's just throwing a little fit and God says, do you have any right to even be mad about this plant? And Jonah says, yes, I have enough right to be mad about this plant even to the point of death. Kill me now. Because a plant died. Not because God was going to wipe out a whole city full of animals, kids, women, children, men. No, that's fine. Do that. But my plant, how dare you? That's Jonah right now. And then God says, so you have this right to be mad even about a plant, but you want me to wipe out an entire city, which includes he, the Bible says 120,000 people who can't tell their hands right from left, which would refer to kids roughly five and under. So as 120,000 kids and a whole bunch of innocent animals, God isn't saying you don't have a right to be upset about the atrocities that Assyria has committed. What he's pointing out is you want me to wipe out the entire city of Nineveh even though there's kids and there's animals and you're not upset about that. But you're upset about a plant that came up in a day and died just as quickly. That's where our story ends. 
We don't know what Jonah says next. We don't know what God did next. I can only imagine in this story, God came to Jonah, Jonah fled. God came to Jonah, or Jonah came back to God. God directs him again. He starts running away from God. God comes back to Jonah. I can only imagine that even if Jonah didn't quite get it at this point, that God wasn't going to give up. Because we have a God who is patiently relentless in his pursuit of his children. This point right here is immensely comforting as Christians because we know if we mess up, if we fail, if we make mistakes, that God isn't going to give up on us, that he's not going to leave us stranded in a boat and let us go to Tarshish. He's going to come after us and he's going to grab hold of us and drag us back, even in Jonah's case if it means using a fish to eat you and bring you back. We have a God who cares so much about his children that he's not going to let them run away. In the New Testament, it describes him as a shepherd who's willing to go after the one and leave the 99 behind. Being a flock of sheep, one runs away, and I'm going to say, you guys stay here, and I'm going to go get them. I'm not going to be like happy with my 99. I'm going to make sure I have everybody. And that is the God we see in Jonah constantly, patiently, relentless in his pursuit. He didn't yell at Jonah. He didn't belittle Jonah. He even performed a miracle just for Jonah in order to bring Jonah back. That all being said, Josh, you said you were going to be talking about willingness today. You haven't really even mentioned it. Our application is, oh, I missed this verse. We should read this. It's a good verse. Psalms 103.13, it says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. It's basically what I just said, but looking at it through a father's lens or a father's love. So how can we apply this? Our first application point, a willing attitude changes the situation. In Jonah's case, imagine at the beginning of the story, the book of Jonah would have been like a chapter long if this happened. God comes to Jonah and says, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Jonah says, okay. Goes to Nineveh. Revival happens in Nineveh. Jonah goes home happy because he just saw God work. That could have been the whole book of Jonah. And we would have been like, sweet, look what happens when you follow God. This is an awesome story. That's not obviously what happened. But things change when we are willing to follow God. Kids, you have parents in your life or authorities in your life, whether it be your teachers. God chose to put them there. He chose to give you the mom or the dad or the teacher that you have. You choosing to follow them is an example of willingness. And I'm sure every kid in here can probably attest, when you are not willing, just like Jonah, life gets a little bit more difficult. And when you are willing, things tend to go better. Or at least you receive different outcomes when you do that. So, kids, as you go forward today, and adults, let's be real, we have our own struggles with being willing and following what God's asking us to do. A willing attitude can change that. Our second, if it'll work, there we go. No one is too bad for God's grace. Not the men on the boat who had never followed God and were praying to other gods. Not the Assyrians who were known for their terrible deeds and murdering all sorts of people and doing terrible things to them. And not even Jonah, who 
oddly enough, wants God's grace in his life, but doesn't really want God's grace in the Assyrian's life. He prays to God, says salvation's in God's hand while he's in the belly of the whale, and he wants to receive this salvation and be freed from the belly of the whale, but doesn't want the same thing for the Assyrians. Our last application point, or I guess kind of to touch on that one. Therefore, whether it's somebody you're trying to share the gospel with, there's no one in your life that's too bad to hear the gospel. The second side of that is you can't do anything that makes you too bad to receive God's grace. Whether you mess up at school, you mess up bigger as an adult, whatever it is, you can't get, quote unquote, too bad to receive God's grace. Our last application point, our actions affect other people. Jonah, we saw him go through the story, affected the, the ship, the people on the ship. They ended up in a life-threatening situation. He goes to Nineveh and follows God, and that, again, affects a whole nation of people. Kids, adults, in life, we make choices, and a lot of time we like to think it's my choice, and I get to choose it, and because of that, we don't think about the people that are around us. Our choices impact other people. Whether it be I'm talking during class and now I'm distracting those around me. Well, it's my choice to talk. It's my education. Well, you're not only distracting the kid you're talking to, you're also distracting the other people who are wanting to get a good education. Or adults, those of you who right, don't show up for your work, Imagine that impacting the people around you. If we work in a factory and there's a nice assembly line and your job is to do a very specific thing and you don't show up, now they're scrambling trying to fill that hole just because you made a choice. So next time you go to make a choice, I just want you to think about who is this going to impact and maybe consider that more than just being your choice but how it impacts other people. Last thing I want to say, and if you get nothing else from what I said today, if you forget everything, I want you to walk out of here asking yourself this question. What is it going to take for you to be willing? When God calls you to listen to your parents or uh, deal with that boss at work, you fill in the blank. When God calls you to do something, what is it going to take for you to be willing Are we going to be more like Jonah, where God's going to have to almost drag us kicking and screaming to be willing? Or are we going to be somebody who follows God right away and gets to reap the reward of what God is calling us to do in the fact that God's love is shared with us? Whichever choice you choose, God's still going to come after you. Whether you're willing right away and God joins you on your path following him or you're not. God's still going to chase after you. He's still going to grab hold of you, and he's still going to bring you back to him. That's all I have for today. I'm going to invite Jeremy and the worship team back up for one more song. I'm going to pray, and if you would join me in standing and singing, that would be great. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your love. Thank you for patiently pursuing us despite us, despite us making mistakes, despite us not making choices that honor you. I pray that we, as we go forward this week, we ask that question to ourselves. What's it going to take for me to be willing? 
and answer it with your love is enough and we will be willing simply because of what you've done for us. I pray this in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.